Hello, Heron. Hi. So, as is my usual custom, do you have any topics you want to throw out there this evening? Uh, I guess not. Nothing? Not. Well, I'm sure I'll think of something uh, in the process here this evening. <laughs> I'll just do it, come to it later. <laughs> yes. So I received through the week, in fact, I was somewhat hoping that I would receive this last week before our recording. But as it turned out, last week's recording was actually quite interesting, I thought, on a number of levels. So perhaps this would have just pushed it over the edge. But our listener, <laughs> our listener, Paul Brian Hancock, who now, according to his email, just wants to be referred to as Paul. I think people such as Lorraine, and I guess we'll call her Marie now. Now she's Marie Chang, as opposed yeah. to Marie Camacho. But I think Paul, he's been listening since the start, and he wants the level of respect that we equate with other listeners, such as Lorraine and others, just being on a first-name <laughs> basis. No more Paul right. Brian Hancock. Paul just... Brian Hank and is... Hancock. Hancock. Hancock was his name. Paul Brian Hancock. Yes. Yeah. Was his former so... name, and now on Stone Ape, he is just going to be referred to as Paul. Okay. Paul, welcome. Thank you for writing. Now, the interesting thing about Paul is that I have missed... Is there only one interesting thing? Well, the... the, the and... the... No, 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 no. For me, anyway, this is the most interesting thing about oh, Paul. The most? Okay, all right. Is that I have met him and his wife. Oh. They participated in the Model Rail Radio South Australian get-together of 2012. And I knew he was a Stone Ape lister at the time. The event went through till I think about 2am. It was quite an extraordinary event. And we had originally surmised that as they were going back to, I think, the centre of Adelaide, maybe not, that I would get a lift with them back. But in the end, I ended up getting a lift with another fellow. So we weren't able to actually talk about any Stone Ape related stuff while we were there, other than kind of yeah. mutually acknowledging. He does feature briefly in the Model Rail Radio audio. But yeah, so he, I think he's, aside from the Model Rail Roaders, and I guess he's one of the Model Rail Roaders as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's the only Stone Ape listener I've ever actually met. Yeah. Yeah, including me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Paul has a number of topics. Uh, he starts by addressing something that I think I'd already stated, but I'm going to restate. Paul is on a sabbatical as well, Heron. Of, of a similar nature to mine? Well, it's actually a similar nature to my dream, because Paul was one of these 24-hour connected, although he was connected through a BlackBerry, unconnected through multiple iOS yeah. devices. But he was one of these 24-hour workers who noticed a deterioration in his mind. I'm not going to editorialize anything about his body. Uh, and decided that the only well, way... you just to did. <laughs> no, I'm not editorializing about his mind. <laughs> only I'm allowed to talk about physical deterioration. Our listeners are, are pristine in all possible cases. Uh, anyway. So he decided to uh, to take a sabbatical, and he said returning his BlackBerry uh, was the high point when he resigned. Uh-huh. So he's been traveling around, uh, he went to Canada, he goes to Canada off line. I'm really annoyed, I'm going to put this out there, that Paul is going to alienate another person. Damn Skippy, <laughs> there's no good unalienated listener out there, Paul. Prepared we we'll, we'll, we'll get around to you later. Yeah. You think you're exempt. You know. Yes. <laughs> he never comes to the West Coast. He spends all his time in, you know, Montreal. He goes down to New York periodically. I'm not sure if he's been to Chicago yet. Why should he come to the West Coast? Because the highest quality of people, Heron. Ah, okay. In particular, the two people who are currently talking. Yeah, yeah. Reside on the... The West Coast. Uh, yeah. So. Well, yeah, but I would assume he probably has some 
particular reasons why he goes wherever he goes, and he has no particular reason. Ah, that's you're offended that we aren't a particular reason for him to come here. Damn Skippy. <laughs> okay, I got it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I put on a good show for him. I got, you know, plenty of mole rail riding folk and other folk. We could, we could do a wide variety of things if he came to this part of the world. Uh, anyway. Yeah, well, good luck. <laughs> he's, he's, I think we have various people who are in the process of doing sabbaticals through Model Rail Radio. Mm. So I'm pretty sure he's spent a quality amount of time in Canada, then maybe New York, and then the UK, and now he's currently in France, which is oh, why he delayed nice. his... Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. He has a number of points. But one of the things that he notes, which I actually find interesting, in fact, I think it's our responsibility to inject some, uh, you know, some Stonian philosophy into these bookshelves, but he said while he was travelling, he found it very striking that uh, his wife's friends all seem to have McKenna and Sheldrake on their bookshelves. <laughs> and now he is aware of these particular thinkers. Wow. He now finds their books in his travels. Uh-huh. Well, that makes sense, of course. Yes, you begin to see. That's good to hear that McKenna is out there in the world. I mean, mm. I I always sort of assumed it was me and three other people. You know? Yeah. Well, there were like a couple hundred people showed up at that thing, you know, where I was. But well, that's good to know that he's getting into uh, the world. It's funny, actually, because I was reflecting the only McKenna I own is not in his name. I have the Mushroom Crowers Guide, which has a different name. Right. I've got a lot of books that reference McKenna. I don't have any original McKenna I I I don't think I've actually read any of him. I I just like listening to him talk. Yeah, I I have a couple of his books, but I wasn't particularly impressed by his writing. You know, he's certainly a speaker rather than a writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Mushroom Book is... in my mind, yeah. Yeah, the Mushroom Book is... Pretty. Well, that's just, I, I yeah, that's just a, a, a guide. Well, the, the interesting thing is that you think, I mean, if you're in the business of technical writing or you're around technical writing, yeah. you realize that there is such a skill as a technical writer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the people that have that skill do it really well. The people that don't have that skill are... Yeah. The funk is strong. That's a problem yeah. that, that I have with my own writing, yeah. is that uh, I tend to think real technically and tend to, you know, use, you know, Latin words and all that shit, you know, but that mm. really just doesn't work very well. It alienates people. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, but it's so, it's so natural to me. You know, it's not like, I mean, I understand that people think I'm being something because I talk like that. Mm. But to me, I mean, I've read so much. I mean, that's just the way my language machine functions, you mm. know. And, and so I have to... I mean, that's part of what I'm going to, and is learning how to say, try to say the same things uh, in more ordinary language. Mm. But it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting problem because the written word in and of itself is sufficiently alienating to a group <laughs> of people. I mean, I found this yeah. a, a tenant. I've given him now half a dozen books. I think eventually I'm going to have to start asking for them back. Because, well, yeah, yeah. Some people are not readers. Does yeah. he have any books in his house? Well, I don't know. I've not been inside. My oh, wife's the oh, only yeah, person yeah, who's been yeah. inside out of the two of yeah, us. Yeah. Well, in, in any case, there are a lot of people who just don't read. Yeah. You know, it's a. Um... Well, you know, I never read anything until I read Alan Watts. I mean, yeah. I was. Uh, that turned me into a reader. But up until that point, I could. I, 
that just the idea of reading just never yes. entered my mind. Yes. No, I mean, it's just television. Why, yes. why the fuck would I want to read anything? Yeah. I did that in high school. That was no fun. Yes. Well, I think you need to find, a, and you did through Alan Watts, a quality of books that don't exist well, in any I, other media, you know. But then uh, you heard the Alan, Alan Watts speak at some yeah. stage. Well, he's one of the few people who I actually enjoy his writing and his uh, talking. Yes. I like his his books, but uh, I still, yeah, and I love listening to him. <laughs> yes, yes. So he asks a number of questions. He he's particularly fascinated. Paul. Oh yes, Paul. Paul. He's <laughs> okay. particularly fascinated by DMT. Ah, and he says, like you, I guess he's referring to me. I am not a drug user, but I find the subject fascinating. The repeatable phenomena allegedly produced by DMT is really interesting. He must have missed the past two recordings, but anyway, move on. Yeah. As uh, I've been walking through remote France, where the villages and attitudes to life are a little changed from medieval times, I've been reflecting that mm. I am much more able to remember my dreams in the constant distraction of city life. It's interesting how much emphasis past cultures put on dreams. I've been dismissive of dream interpretation. It reeks of new age crystal hocus pocus. <laughs> but I wonder if there is any deep structure in dreams, the sort of collective uh. unconscious idea that Jung was keen on, or Jung, let me say. Yeah. If there uh, is a deep structure of consciousness, it might explain why DMT seems to trigger similar experiences in people. Yeah, that's interesting. So... We have wrapped a little bit on dreams. I mean, I certainly have a solid interest in it. And when I started yeah. Noble Ape, the fact that the apes dreamt was critical in the development yeah. of the simulation. Yeah. Well, see, for me, dreams are just a, 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 an empty category. Mm. <laughs> you know? I mean, I used to dream. I loved flying. That was awesome. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I haven't dreamt. Well, you know the story. Uh, anyway, I, I don't remember dreaming, uh, but a couple times a year now. You know? And when I do, they're not particularly interesting. Mm. You know? Do you think your you know, relationship That may, that may with... be related to the, why drugs don't yeah. affect me. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? I yes. don't know. Yes. What a pity you're not part of this uh, MDMA study. <laughs> Medical <laughs> professionals could be getting to the bottom of it. Yeah, well, I think maybe. Well, it's interesting. I mean, like I say, it was it was interesting when LSD didn't work. Now mm. DMT. Does, well, I don't know that DMT. I'm I'm going to give it another shot. I gave LSD five tries. Mm. I've got enough to do five tries of uh, DMT. So we'll see. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna approach this much more scientifically this time than I did last time. Yes. Well for folks that don't read the written notes that come along with this recording, the information I provided you last time was completely wrong. I read uh, Douglas Rushkoff's Siberia. I have a first edition, which apparently is the mistakes edition, including the spelling of Steve Jobs' name with two Bs. <laughs> it is not M-A-O-D-M-T. It's M-E-O-5 yeah, DMT, I, that's which is the one, the one that yeah. you'd heard about. Yeah, yes. right, yeah. And that, that apparently is the superior form of DMT. It's not about superior. It's about quite different, I think. And and plus, I did a little reading up on MAO mm -hmm. uh, inhibitors, mm -hmm. and... Uh, Given they can have some strange effects on on some people, yes, and uh, for digestion and and everything, mm. and um, I, I don't, uh, I'm less inclined to mess around w with uh, the inhibitors, you yeah. know, yeah. So anyway, mm. I was listening to some McKenna through the week, and he referred to a blue hallucination. 
which apparently is well-documented associated with ayahuasca, mm-hmm. which means that leading into the hallucinatory experience, the um, users see blue, which mm. I thought was fascinating, particularly for potentially colorblind users. The oh, who knows they... what they're seeing? Yeah, no, that's, that's the interesting <laughs> they're thing. They're all saying, oh, I yeah. see blue. <laughs> yeah, except for the colorblind guys, like, wow, I've never seen this thing before. I don't <laughs> uh, know how that works Unless you're saying that, that's quite interesting. Yes. Well, no, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm not clear that that's the case. Oh, okay. But uh, the discussion of ayahuasca in this particular uh, McKenna recording described the fact that the ayahuascaras, the shaman in these circumstances, typically had their own recipes for ayahuasca. Mm, and although yeah. it contained two main ingredients, yeah. there were a wide variety of other alkaloids yeah. that they used. Yeah, some, you never know what the hell you're getting. Yeah, some of which had hallucinogenic properties, some of which, as you say, related to metabolism and digestion. Well, they don't know. That's the thing is yeah. that that kind of science doesn't test for that kind of... They just know what works. They just know if you put all this stuff together, you get an effect. Yeah. You know, well, and so they just sort of stick with that. That's interesting <laughs> because that's a kind of... The notion of indigenous um, refinement yeah. is, I think, I mean, although it doesn't follow the letter of the It takes thousands of years method, for yes. it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it does happen, though. Like I said, the, the ayahuasca is astounding yeah. that they figured that out. Or, yeah. or they didn't figure that, that somehow that all came together, though. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's just astounding to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, the dream space, though, because I certainly think it's an area, as, you know, as Paul has noted, that is severely underutilized by anything other, you yeah. know, well, so, oh, see, even things. the idea of utilized, mm-hmm. underutilized, st- strikes me as a, as a, an attitude towards it that I'm not quite sure I want to, I want to take on. Mm. I mean, I, I see it maybe as a realm for exploration and fun, yeah. but underutilization sounds like it's going to have some work application. Well, this is interesting. <laughs> We've discussed this previously because I certainly think that dreams can be utilized. Well, they, I'm sure for, they could. Yeah, yeah, even for work applications. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I certainly, I, in large part, actually live for my dreams. They provide a great degree of insight. Yeah. They provide a completely alternative, constructed universe, which enables me to explore and feel a sense of wholeness that I don't get in my general day-to-day life on its own. I mean, I think dreams are, have, have played a pretty leading role in terms of my ability to do a variety of things. And mm-hmm. typically, this is, I mean, this is the interesting phenomena associated with these DMT experiences is in conjunction with good meditation, good understanding of dream space, what have you. I mean, it could be, yeah, I think the, the options here without even touching pharmacology is very interesting and certainly something yeah. that I've been... Well, and of course, DMT is, uh, many people are suggesting it's related to dreaming. Yes. You know, that that's, uh, that may be why it's in our, you know, it's part of our dream process. Yes. You know? And there's the whole death narrative as well, you know, the last five seconds worth of insight and all this kind of stuff. But I think that's a kind of chemical mythology, which is probably just as active as any, you know, notions yeah. of an afterlife and these kind oh, of things. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. So, anyway. Uh, so, was there a question in there? No, you see, I think all of Paul's discussion... He's just sharing some observations. He's sharing observations and seeing if we can riff on it. Okay, I got it. Anyway, yeah. so he continues 
on. Well, read, read what he what we, we were just responding to, because I have no idea what the hell okay, we're Okay, I'll, I'll take about. it from halfway through the paragraph. <laughs> I've always been dismissive of dream interpretation. Right. It reeks of New Age crystal yeah. hocus pocus. But I wonder if there is a deeper structure in our dreams, mm. the sort of collective unconscious idea that Jung was keen on. If there is a deeper structure to consciousness, it might explain why DMT yeah. seems to trigger similar experiences. Yeah, this is why I wanted to... Yeah, because I wanted to add something to that, because... Mm. When he talks about deep structure and and then going back to some of the ideas I've been having recently between Chomsky's ideas of deep structure and my idea of an of a navigation system mm. that underlies language, um, or, well, spoken language, I should say, um, that may be what this deep structure is. Is this navig? Well, at least in my language, this navigation system mm. that, that we've got. Um, and that may be pretty much biological or to a large extent biological. So it's going to be shared, you know, by most humans. Yes. You know, I mean, on a range, of course, but, uh, anyway, so that was, I just what I wanted to add to that. So your description here of deep structure has a sublinguistic visual component to it as well. I mean, it's not. Well, I, na- I really don't know. All I can say is, like I say, we, we have navig, and not just us. I mean, bugs have it. Bugs mm. know where they're going. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, this is from agent modeling. You can make agents look like they know where they're going because you embody some. There's some anthropomorphic element well, even I, no, in agents. The difference whether they know where they're going. What I mean is, they function that way. What I mean, whether some do I really know something or do I just act as though I do? I mean, that's a pointless question. All you no, can no, no, no. It's very well, <laughs> except. To know where you're going has a whole series of biases associated with knowledge, okay, uh, okay. direction, insect, location. An insect that, that's what I'm saying, like an insect that can find its way back to its uh, hole in the ground or mm. wherever it lives. It's got to have some sort of navigation system that allows it to know where it is and where it's going. But insects, in particular, in terms of their chemistry, it's a bit like a field that's walked over for a period of time where you start to see the boot marks in the yeah, mud. It, it may be like have, that. Yes. Well, some do, uh, some don't. Fly, that's not going to help a flying insect. Well, it helps bees. Well, th- well, all I'm saying is th- they have a way of, of, of handling those issues as biological systems. Yeah. You know, and this involves, of course, teleology, that it actually has an idea that it's the end of the day and now I'm going home. Although they may not formulate it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ah, it's been a good day. <laughs> it's the time to head home. Yes. But in, in fact, that's, a, you know, that, that's just the language shit we've added to it. Yes. Which <laughs> okay. comes with a lot of baggage as well. Which, oh, it's about all there is is baggage there. Yes. But, but, it, but the point is, is that this underlying navigation system has to be shared literally I, I think by all animals and and maybe trees too who knows i don't know but uh, certainly anything that's able to move in its environment has to have a navigation system and that's what i'm suggesting is the underlying the deep structure of language but in describing it as deep structure and in describing it as associated with I mean, let's be frank here, 
Homo sapien biology in terms of, you know, physical manifestation, yeah. embodiment, yeah. et al., yeah. Yeah, yeah. then it's a very different thing than a spider, you know, a spider's oh. perception of these <laughs> kind of things. So, so it, the problem here is that the deep structure that you describe in embodying it in certain insect behaviors doesn't capture all of the elements of deep structure that you want to no, talk of, about. Of course not. No, no, I'm saying, no, it's quite different in yeah. a spider than it is in a human. They're, yeah. You know, I'm just saying that the, that what we've got came from that, that need. That's mm. what the function of this system is. It's to navigate. It's a navigation system, although we've got a highly elaborate one now compared to spiders and wasps and things like that. I mean, they, they have them, but they're, they're minimal, obviously. Well, they're enough to get the job done. That's mm. exactly the point. But our navigation systems, and again, once it escaped, and that's the great mystery is that, is how how what was essentially an internal phenomenon for each individual of the species began to be shared by by speaking out loud well it was already shared to us you know with physical yeah. observations and everything so yeah but but well in any case yeah I, i'm talking myself into a circle here <laughs> I remember a childhood book, which is probably more an account of my childhood than anything else, about when bees discovered socialism. And <laughs> when bees <laughs> discovered socialism. Yeah, I, I think uh. it was something associated with drinking some fermented honey, getting together and realizing this queen, working for this queen really wasn't working out for them. You know? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this continues. It's interesting, actually, because Paul takes it in a in a slightly different direction, but along similar lines. I will continue to read. Uh, on the subject of deep structures, I'd be interested to hear you rap further on information theory and evolution. I did a philosophy degree and focused on the nature of consciousness and evolution <laughs> in my coursework. Despite being fed the Kool-Aid on evolution, I'm not fully convinced that it explains the sophisticated web of life that we see. When you go deeper into complex wow. mechanisms involved in even basic cell-level life, which is more complicated than the cities, or look at the complex interactions of chemical processes in, for example, an insect-eating plant, it's hard for me to believe that random trial and error can explain this. Yeah. Too often I feel that the intervening stages... And, and you used to get on Lorraine for long shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been beaten down. <laughs> I, 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 look, I'm, I'm going to put this out here. And Lorraine, <laughs> you're probably no longer listening because I'm probably one of the people, we are probably one of the people that I alienated since I'm going through individually one by one and you are not one of the people who's responded. So clearly, yeah, look, let's, let's divide this into three sections. So let's talk a little bit about information theory and evolution. In I want to of, talk about that. Yes. Uh, well, I did a moment ago, but now I forgot what when it was. I start I rapping and then you can interrupt okay. me. That seems to be the way okay. these things work That works out, out. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, my view with regards to information theory and evolution, even as separate concepts, is that it's a bit like, um, you know, the number system in addition. When you understand the early stages of this, you can understand the basic building blocks, but it's also pretty misunderstood, in particular associated with what random means in an evolutionary system. I mean, it is not that, you know, there's a whole lot of kind of chaotic random stuff that's manipulating things on a variety of different levels and then mysteriously, you know, something comes out of that. There are, by my understanding at least, 
are very small elements of random and a whole lot of elements are the same. It's these small elements of random over very long periods of time, perhaps even leading towards Heron's favourite punctuated equilibrium discussion, that kind of, you know, do their thing on and on and on, and then perhaps you have a point of punctuation. So, yeah, I've never really felt the random part of evolution in this way is, you know, is a weakness. It just seems to describe to me... Actually, there's considerably more stability than there is randomness in most of these. No, it's mostly equilibrium, yeah. very little punctuation. <laughs> yes. But the punctuations are often dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, what's come to me, I mean, I, I know now what I wanted to talk about was that uh, I'm not an evolutionist. Mm. Uh, uh, I don't think, I mean, not by the standards of most people like Dawkins who insist that it's random and meaningless. <laughs> okay, and that it's not headed anywhere. And as far as I'm concerned, Earth is developing. It's not, uh, it's not just randomly evolving. It's a developing organism. It's a member of a species of planets with a certain composition at a certain distance from a certain kind of star. You get an Earth. You know, mm. and and they go through a standard uh, development process, mm. and uh, and that's the basically the big metaphor that I use to try and make sense out of out of the world. I understand that most people, when they talk about evolution, again, they, they insist that it that it's not headed anywhere. <laughs> you know, that's but, and I that, so it's sort of interesting that that seems to be so important. I don't see what's so. Uh, heretical about saying that Earth is a member of a species of planets that has a, a normal developmental course. What, what, I mean, it, it's a far out, purely speculative idea, but mm. there's there's nothing, I don't see anything scientifically offensive about that. But to make it as, as a claim. It's not a claim. It's, it's, an, it's an assumption I operate on. It, it's the big story for me when I'm trying to make sense out of the whole goddamn thing and trying to get a big picture on it. That's the story I go to. Okay. So still kind of claim-like, right? No. It's just, well, I'm claiming that I like that That's story. That's exactly my That point. story yes. works good for me. Yes. But in... in it's, it's not an ontological claim. <laughs> That's exactly that the, the world point. is yes. really that way. Yes. But, but nobody can make that. All we can do is claim our stories. Yes. That's all we've extent. got. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Paul kind of continues on this rap associated with his disenchantment with evolution for yeah. a substantial paragraph. Yeah. I think we've kind of covered it. I mean, my view is that, it, well, firstly, I think evolution is misunderstood. It's mistaught. And it, the notion that yeah. it is something that, you know. Well, punctuated equilibrium changes everything. Yeah. I mean, that that's just, that's, that changes everything. The time frame puts us in the middle. I mean, there's just no, I don't see how you can avoid the fact that that's where we are right now. I mean, if, if I saw, so, yeah, so punctuated equilibrium is pretty damn close to a claim of ontological <laughs> reality in some sense. Yeah, but I guess Robert Anton Wilson's jumping Jesuses don't seem to indicate that it's punctuated equilibrium. It seems to follow McKenna's line that everything is just getting faster and better, faster and better, right? So I think... Uh, yeah, but at a certain point, that becomes more than just quantitative. It becomes qualitative. It, it, there's, that's what that whole uh, chaos theory thing is about, is at a certain point, that system, at that acceleration breaks down and a new stability takes place at a higher level. And that's where we are. Uh-huh. 
So eventually, at a higher level, you mean superhuman well, or subhuman? Uh, no, a, a coherence on a planetary level. Okay, and we can't talk about the future punctuation because we're so far removed from that discussion. No, we're in it right now. No, no, I understand. But what? Yeah. Then there'll be an equilibrium. Then there'll be a new punctuation. Oh, that, well, yeah, yeah. No, but the, the the equilibrium could last a million years. We could create a civilization that could be stable for a million years. We can't create a civilization currently that can be stable for any length. No, I understand that. Yeah, I'm just saying that that if. If you, it, according to punctuated equilibrium theory, is that you go through the punctuation period and then there's a, a long period of stability that goes. And the last example of this was the Dark Ages. No, no, we're talking about millions of years in oh. evolution. Okay. Yeah. So no, we the, haven't been the, around for millions of years. Sure, we have. We've been around for four billion years. It depends on what you mean by I, I guess, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's interesting because. As I mean, attached my- I am as I am to my bacteria, I don't think that I think there are a number of stages between the bacteria and me. Oh, and absolutely, and yes. there's some big changes between monkeys or, or great apes, bonobos being the closest. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're in a different game than they are in. Mm. <laughs> you know, but on the other hand, it's not hard to see the similarities. Yeah, I, I actually think we're in a surprisingly similar number well, of games I, as Bonobo. Well, that's I think that's probably part of the problem. Is yes. it's time to outgrow some of those mammalian games. They worked fine for the last thirty million years. Yeah, but uh, creating a global high tech civilization that that's just n- not workable. Yeah. We have to bring more to the table than that. It's interesting that your view of punctuated equilibrium has the humans in, or at least some continuum of our kind of special evolution as being the point of the equilibrium. I mean, when it gets to... Well, I think we're part of this process. Yeah. But this- when, when it gets to planetary cohesion... You're at a point where we're back to being the bacteria on the planet. Is yeah. The next level, oh, well, right? we're something like we're, we're some part of the nervous system of a conscious Earth. Is mm. my, my the way of thinking about it. Yeah. That you know that, that the Earth has a has a nervous system. We call it the internet. <laughs> you know, but mm. it's more than just that. It's just it's just all the sum total of all the information processes going on on the planet, and they're all getting hooked up together. And uh, with satellite, I mean, the whole thing, that would be the Earth's nervous system. And we're clearly a very important part of that. Hmm. Yeah, talking about us being the Earth's nervous system, last weekend, I went to the Alameda County Fair, which was an interesting experience because I realized that we really, particularly as we do this recording on a weekly basis, maybe every other week occasionally, we really need to inject ourselves back into the general population on a periodic basis to actually appreciate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess, you know, I have I have the general population stealing my stuff periodically. <laughs> yeah, but, you, you, know. you can't avoid them. See? I mean, actually, I've done pretty well in avoiding yeah, them. Yeah, no, but... you have, actually, extraordinarily yeah. well. I mean, our I've, discussion yeah, last week yeah. made me realize that you have, amazingly avoided yeah yeah you know yeah. assholes that you work with through your professional career which struck me as astonishing well you know but i'm poor <laughs> you know what yeah. can you say i don't own a house but that's a it's a for me that's a fair trade-off I, I i think i would be dead or just really unhappy and fucked up if yeah. if because i just don't deal well with that with, with stress at all really yeah. you know it's just uh yeah. Yeah, the county fair i mean it's i guess as a child i went to fairs and the last fair i went to was probably about 10 years ago it was the victorville yeah. county fair 
But it is a really interesting experience because you get to realize, firstly, that there are negatives associated with humanity, and we can fix those ad nauseum in this particular recording. Yeah, you noticed that, huh? But also, when we were around a group of people, and in particular, as we entered the fair, we were all put through a metal detector, which seemed ah, yeah, to be the standard right. practice, you know, because we were all going to blow each other up, clearly. That's right, well... And in doing this, we had to, we had some water with us and we thought we had to drink the water before we went through the detectors because there was a sign up saying, you know, no bottles past this point. And we, in drinking it, there was a group around us that started making jokes with us in a kind of human buoyancy sense associated with this experience. In fact, through doing this, there were half a dozen of these kind of interchanges with groups of people, which made us realize firstly that there is a thing, a kind of collective grouping, which I guess I found when the package was stolen last week when the neighbours and the tenant got involved. I mean, it is interesting that what we need to cultivate here is some idea of society independent yeah, of, yeah. you know, independent of all our intellectual Yeah, wrapping. we need to begin feeling it that there's an <laughs> us and a we. Yeah, but yeah, the nervous we- system is still an interesting metaphor because we are very strikingly different even in our very basic levels of interaction currently. We can uh, exist in, you know, cultural... I don't see anything that's not just a language change. It's... To- it seems that everything follows from that. That and that can happen quickly. I mean, I, I agree with you. If you look at what's out there right now, it, you know, how can you? How can this possibly happen? Mm. It could happen uh, in easily in thirty to fifty years. Mm. Well, so twenty-five, actually thirty years ago, when I went to fairs in Australia, they were almost identical to this experience, aside from the fact that after I had waited. 30 minutes for an exploding hot dog. We sat down and... <laughs> Wait a minute, an exploding hot dog? You're not, you really do have to... Well, I'm not sure that. if you... Well, I'm not sure what the last time you went to a county fair. No, but it's, it's been a... Well, it was when I was with Otsuko, because she worked the Orange oh, County Fair. Very good. So <laughs> yeah. you're familiar with the rub associated with being an entry fee, and then extraordinarily expensive food and fluids once you actually... Oh, yeah, well, it. it's a whole modern... Yeah, it's yeah. a capitalism exactly. uh, holiday. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, in particular, I mean, thankfully, I had my wits about me and had purchased sunscreen and stuff so we weren't fried to a crisp ah, and you experience. wore a hat right well in this case we both realized that the hats that were in the car had been removed from the car with the previous drunk drunk haul so as we were traveling there we realized we were hatless but however got the maximum possible sunscreen and avoided yeah. the sun as, yeah, as much good. however we did have an opportunity particularly in the purchasing of food initially to be seated out under the shade of a tree Looking over, we realized that we were part of some kind of motocross freestyle bike exhibition. And within about 30 seconds, in fact, I really need to put the video footage of this on YouTube. These three guys, two of them Canadian, one of them Californian, came out on these motocross bikes and started doing flips 20 feet into the air just in front of us. It was extraordinary. Wow. I mean, yeah. and, and then, of course, there was like a crowd of people that kind of developed around the show. Yeah. And I realized that either it's because one of them had been in traction for like six months having broken <laughs> his neck. But it made me realize that if this wasn't relatively safe, even though this looked phenomenally dangerous, I mean, they were literally flying up vertically, you know, crossing their arms, well, doing Hail made... Marys, flying yeah. off the bikes, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was at least reproducible sufficiently that they could do a number of these tricks 
Yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a routine. Yeah, yeah. just like, well, Otsuko's magic show yeah. <laughs> or her, you know, juggling act. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, if she, that. if she juggled chainsaws, it might have been... Well, that, that's a little bit different. Yeah, right. Yeah, she's not likely to die doing her show. Yeah. But she could be quite embarrassed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Interesting. So, this image of Heron going to the... Was it the Orange County Fair? Which county? Yeah, yeah. yeah. county fair. Yeah. Going to the Orange County Fair. Yeah. So... Yeah, one of the things that I found, because these are my people, there was a model rail exhibit there. And my wife, initially, she went up first. I don't know what I was doing. I think I was looking at the livestock uh, and was immediately brushed away by the model rail nerds who were running it. I walked up and said immediately, oh, you've converted to DCC, I see, and then just started describing locomotives and hand laid track. And they immediately welcomed me in as one of their own. Yeah, yeah, one of their own. (laughs) One of their own. And yeah, so apparently what they do in these showgrounds is that if they, I think they have one at Orange, at the Orange County Fairgrounds as well, but they just take over these spaces. They have their club for, you know, all through the year and then the once a year for the show, they put on a little model rail thing. uh, Yeah, you know, I seem to recall that there was something like that there. I, I, it's kind of all <laughs> lost in the mist of the past now, but yes. I, I seem to recall that there was something like that yes. there. All too familiar. But, yeah, I mean, being around pigs and sheep and cows and all these kind of things, I mean, yeah, well, well <laughs> worth the effort. We realize that we need to get to one of those things. My spiritual advisor was saying every five years. I was thinking every ten years. Yeah. But, you know, that kind of time yeah. frame. Get, well, get you know, I really miss – well, you've got cats. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't have a dog right now. Yes. I really I really miss Sydney still. Yes. You know, that was an important part – Sydney was an important part of my life. Mm. And, uh, and we've got this other dog here, but he's, I'm just, I, I don't know, you know, it's got nothing to do with that dog. Yes. Yes. So Paul's questions continue. Wait, what are we talking? What was the last sentence? Uh, well, he kind of went into evolution and information theory, but we cut okay. that one short. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, let me just say, Paul, you've got my Skype information. If you want to call, me and we can talk on Skype about this stuff. You've obviously considered these things. And so if you're up for an actual uh, voice conversation about it sometime, let's let's do that. He never is, Heron. He never is. It's interesting, actually, because he's never been able... I've actually invited him to appear on a Stone Ape previously, and uh, he's no, was he's away, not, not. and yeah. you know he's never appeared on a Model Rail Radio aside from when I've actually recorded him on location. Yeah. I think he's actually one of these folk who uh, you know leads lives where they aren't you know when 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 they are not at work and he's no longer at work. He's. Yeah. Um, you, I think you you might be. Fr- what you two need to do is you need to befriend each other on Facebook, so you could see the stream of photos of him wandering through. Mm, yeah. You know, medieval okay, French well, villages. Okay. Well, he's listening and then get to a sense stuff, of, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so yeah. So add me on Facebook. I'm exactly, on. and then you'd get a sense of. Uh, yeah. You know, Paul's. I'd probably be jealous. Yeah, it is. Look, I'm. Look, honestly, yeah. I think the. Uh, I hate people like that. Who exactly. Are, just do all that shit. You, everyone else dreams about doing. Thankfully, then- you post obnoxious Facebook comments, so you'll be able to get it back to him. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he continues. This is why I like the way Sheldrake is thinking on morphic fields. 
Even if I can poke holes in some of his arguments, I think he's onto something. It seems to me that there is some deep information structure to the universe that mm. favours self-organisation, at least in the environments of Earth. Life forms are too symmetrical. Many years ago, I read an interesting book called The Left-Handed Universe, which investigated some of the ideas of deep organisation at a molecular and submolecular level. I've dabbled in information theory, but to abandon reading in this area uh, due to my job commitments. So very interested to hear more of your thoughts on evolution information theory connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of that stuff. I mean, I I just say, yes, what can you say? What brings it all together to me uh, is, again, to see Earth as a developing system with its own integrity, Mm. with its own, just like uh, an embryo of a tree frog is going to turn into a tree frog. It's not going to turn into a petunia. Mm. You know, it's just, it's a tree frog. Mm. And Earth is just an Earth, and it's doing what it does. It's developing along its lines, and so far as I can tell, it's quite healthy, actually. It's already gone through a number of uh, mass extinctions, uh, just fine, each one contributing just exactly what it needed to get to the next level. Yes, like petroleum, for example. All sorts of things, you know. In any case, um, so I'm just assuming, well, but uh, keeping in mind that I'm just assuming <laughs> that, that Earth is a healthy organism uh, going through a metamorphosis or a punctuated equilibrium, as biologists call it. Yeah, symmetry is an interesting thing. I mean, symmetry makes a lot of sense in terms of just general information reduction, you know, movement. I mean, there are a wide variety of things that you get, in quotes, for free associated with symmetry, and I can't see... You know, it, it, it always strikes me that these kind of arguments associated with evolution, I always just find a little bit... I mean, I do like the idea of possible worlds, and I do like the idea of thinking about the nature of what if we could fly. I mean, like, really fly, as opposed to in kind of tin cans. But, yeah, you know, I don't really see the distinctions associated with these kind of building blocks, I guess. Yeah, I guess I just treat it very much like the kind of bedrock of understanding and what you can develop on top of that is, you know, somewhat beneficial. And you're talking about evolution and information theory. I mean, I think the two are sufficiently similar to, you know, I mean, I think you can analyze evolution in terms of information theory, and I think you can analyze information theory in terms of evolution. They both give certain elements here, but I guess I've never been particularly interested in attacking i mean it's a bit like your mathematics i mean i guess i learned things at a particular period of time and maybe i was just more naive and believing at that period of time but it's what i've done with that stuff after the fact that struck well, me none of those are invalidated anyway yeah. i mean they're again they're all just different maps that's yeah. all they are they're, they're you know and some of them are useful for some kinds of uh, processes and maybe a different map is more helpful for doing something else hmm. and uh it's good to have Many useful maps. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even it's interesting that you talk about punctuated equilibrium as being a counterpoint to evolution, because I think punctuated equilibrium is, in fact, very. You can think of that very much in terms of evolution. Oh yeah, it is. Well, yes, yeah. that well, that is the standard theory of evolution now. It's just yeah. that nobody ever talks about it. People still think in terms of evolution as this accumulation of, of infinitely small steps over and over again mm. for millions of years, and that's just not the way it works. Mm. You know, it just doesn't work that way. The fossil record is clear on that. Uh, 
it happens but fast. Isn't that just bad teaching? I mean, isn't that just bad teaching? Well, it's sad. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Why and misinformation uh, and a yeah, wide variety yeah, of other yeah. stuff. Well, people you... like to. It's a scary theory. It says it says we're about to see more change in the next twenty years than we've seen in the last thousand years. Who the fuck wants to hear that? <laughs> well, young people. <laughs> well, some people do. Some people want to see it. But I'm saying there's a lot of pressure. I think. Uh, to say oh, everything's under control, everything's cool. Don't worry, everything is cool. Everything's going to be okay. Mm. <laughs> but who lives under those assumptions? I guess there must be. There is a clear majority that must live under those assumptions. I think most people on this planet right now still, yeah, live. And and not only do they, li- they don't even know their assumptions. They think that's the world they are living in. Yes. Yes. Paul continues. I like Heron's take on we've got to invent a new world. One of the areas that fascinates me, and this may be because I work in finance, is uh, the economics involved. I also did an economics degree, and I remember a professor saying, behind all the great revolutions of history was some dry old economist with an economic theory who started it all. (laughs) Axiomatic to any new system is how resources are created and distributed. I yeah. only started thinking about this, but interest, interested in your inherent take yeah. on it. Yeah. Well, the Venus Project, I mean, if you, you probably know about that, but if you don't, that's one place where somebody who's been thinking about just those issues has put up a lot of stuff. So I would suggest you check out the Venus Project and Jacques Fresco. Um, yeah. We have to, to me, it's really about creating a whole new world, you know, a global high tech civilization inhabited by enlightened human beings. Yes. And, um, so the question is, how the hell are we going to organize ourselves so that, so that we can do this with the minimal amount of stupidity and get on with having fun? And, uh, the possibility, well, and that's the discussion. I think that's, I don't know the answer to that. I've got a bunch of ideas. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, but, you know, that's what we need to start a conversation about is just how, how would a sensible world actually work? Mm. <laughs> you have infected me with this view, particularly when I engage in people associ- engage with people associated with political discussions yeah my standard assumption now is not to accept any you know standard political procedure as being the way it has to be no it's bullshit and that's 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 the part of the problem yeah and in <laughs> fact kind of i i revel in explaining the multiplicity of solutions to folks who approach me with these kind of arguments yeah, yeah. In fact, showing that it's extraordinary that things are maintained in the fashion that they're maintained, and we should be offended by that, not try to talk towards that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's like if you lost your leg in the war, you know, it it had to be a good war. (laughs) So you're going to fight even more for it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, both metaphor and reality, I think, in the current (laughs) situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's – well, to me, you know – there's no real there's no point in, in debating any of this shit with people it's like you either get this or you don't yeah you know i mean you can't convince somebody to sit down at the table and get out a drawing pad and list the points and you know it, it's it's not on that level that this decision is being made i mean that's part of the process can be but i mean ultimately it's it's um it's it's more than just you know a, a logical argument 
Yeah, I went through a deconstruction this week associated with what happens next year. Next year, I have to renew my green card, and there is potential Ah. for additional nonsense to be thrown into the renewal of the green card. I'm relatively confident I can get it for another 10 years. But there comes a stage where the state will just say to me, why are you not an American citizen? So half-heartedly through the week, I downloaded the American citizenship (laughs) requirement. Oh, no. Oh, no. In particular, the uh, vast quantity of paperwork that I need to sign off against associated with not only my prior, but also my future allegiances and also descriptions associated with the fact that I must promise that I will engage in military service for this country. Oh, really? That's part of it? It's extraordinary because as with the yeah. as with the immigration process here, you can see every single lobby group has had their hand in this document. <laughs> and it is a perverse set of I think occasionally yeah. Do you have to own a gun to have one to get it to be a No. no That's not funnily enough not actually covered, but it almost goes there <laughs> on a number of points. And in particular the notion that um a wide variety of kind of thought police questions. Really? Which I thought were distinctly perverse and made me realize. Really? Like, that, do you have, I mean, do you, can, do you have examples? Of, I'd love to hear some of these things. Uh, if you give me a minute, I'll get it. I've got it on. Give me a second here. Yeah, sure. I may have actually deleted it in disgust. So give me a second. Here. <laughs> I suspect, yes, I did delete it. Let me see if I can re. Well, listen. If, here we are. Not- Application for nationalization. Let me just download it again because. I think it is sufficiently interesting. And this is from a U.S. Gov site or something. Yeah, no, this is yeah. uh, U.S. Uh, citizens, yeah. uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. There's a worksheet. Uh, well, I wonder what it's like in other countries. Have you ever gone th- thought about this? I mean, like, no, we did with Michelle. No, we did with Michelle in the U.K. It's very easy in the U.K. Really? I mean, I think the. Let me see if this is. Yeah, this looks like the. Uh, Okay, let me find uh, some of the questions because we're just getting interesting here. Do you have or did you ever have a hereditary title uh, or an order of nobility in a foreign country? (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Were were you ever involved in any of the following? Genocide. Torture. (laughs) Killing or trying to kill someone. No, no, I never did any of that stuff. Badly hurting or trying to hurt a person on purpose. (laughs) Forcing or trying to force someone to have any kind of sexual contact or relations. That sounds like matchmaking to me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, here's a good one. I wonder if anybody has ever actually just answered those honestly. (laughs) Yes. Not letting someone... Not letting someone practice his or her religion. That sounds like a discussion associated with atheism. Yeah, right. Yeah, listen, I'd go for that. (laughs) Were you ever a member of, or did you ever serve in, help, or otherwise participate in any of the following groups? Al-Qaeda. Military unit, paramilitary unit, a group of people who acted like a military group, but not part of the official military. That's reenactors as well. A police unit, a self-defense unit. What is a self-defense unit? A vigilante unit defined as a group of people who act like the police, but not a part of the official police force. Yeah, okay. Rebel group. No description associated with what rebel group means. (laughs) So the the one thing they all have in common, though, is that they're armed, right? 
It doesn't mention... Uh, it's people who act like a military group but are not officially part of the military. It doesn't refer to being armed at all. That's interesting. Yeah, they just march a lot. <laughs> oh, here we are. Now, finally, finally towards the end, we have Insurgent Organization, a group that uses weapons and fights against a government. <laughs> Well, what what else would you what would you expect to be in an, an American immigration naturalization thing? That sounds. Have you ever been, or uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> have you ever been a habitual drunkard, been a prostitute, or procured anyone for prostitution, sold or smuggled controlled substances, illegal ah. drugs, or narcotics, been married to more than one person at one time? <laughs> Married someone in order to obtain an immigration benefit. Helped anyone enter or tried to enter the United States illegally. Gambled illegally or received income from illegal gambling. Well, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, really, there's no point in going on. I mean, this is just absurd. I mean, I mean, the very idea of asking those kinds of questions, I mean, just on the face of it, like someone's going to answer yes. (laughs) I mean, what the fuck are they even wasting their time on this? Or there, there must be some other way. (laughs) Between March 23rd, 1933 and May 8th, 1945. Did you work for or associate in any way, either directly or indirectly, with the Nazi government of Germany? Really? That's any government a- in any area occupied by, allied with, or established with the help of the Nazi government of Germany? Any German, Nazi, or SS military unit, paramilitary unit, self-defense unit, this is still in unit, there. citizen unit, yep, yeah. police unit, yeah. government agency or office, extermination camp, concentration camp, prisoner of war camp, <laughs> prison, labor camp, or transit camp. I think that just about covers it. Yeah. <laughs> I was a janitor in the latrine. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. It is astonishing. Anyway, I mean, we've got many, this, many pages I mean, so of these kinds Everybody of who, who wants to become a citizen of the United States has to answer these questions. Yeah, there's also a test associated with obscure things of the U.S. government. Which, according to my oh, wife, yeah, I no, could yeah, probably pass. Yeah, yeah. no, I could pass that about, yeah, yeah. who was yeah. the 14th president. Exactly. And, <laughs> and all yeah. that shit, yeah. Yeah. But, no, it is extraordinary, and I thought to myself, <laughs> sadly, I don't think I'll ever become a citizen of this country. Well, you could do, well, who cares? I mean, it's just a bunch of, just mark them all, no. Well, you know, oh, well, what you say, what, I should, I should lie and become a citizen? Well, well, no, I'm saying, no, actually, I would not advise, if you don't have to be a citizen, why bother? I mean. Yeah, that's yeah, my view. Yeah, yeah, the best thing, of course, would be to, for us to start providing Earth citizenship. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I consider myself. I'm a citizen of Earth. Fuck yeah. America, <laughs> you know, or Russia or any other. Yeah. I'm a citizen of Earth, but we, and there are people who have been doing stuff like that, issuing Earth passports and stuff. So, uh. Yeah. That, that, I think that will, there will come a time when that will become some real thing where you uh, pledge your allegiance to Earth. Well, I may have told the story, but I'll tell it again. When I traveled internationally as a student, I had what was called the International Students Card, which was officially given through, I think, the university for a small amount of money. When I would go to New South Wales, which was literally the state over, I would present it to the train people to see if I could get a student discount. And the man would say, This is in the world, son. This is New South Wales. <laughs> Just like that. 
So I guess you didn't get a discount. No, and what I realized was all the local schools in New South Wales paid kickbacks to the train company to give student discounts only to people that had their specific state student Uh, cards and not anyone who was traveling through the state as a student. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, I frequently still use, this isn't the world, son, this is wherever, in context <laughs> of this notion of, uh, yeah, international Well, that's exactly the point. Yeah, that's exactly the point, is that's got to change. Yes. That's, that's a way of thinking that was appropriate up until just quite recently. I don't think it's it, ever it, been appropriate, Harry. Well, this whole notion of legitimizing bad thinking well, in I, some time well, frame. Well, I'm talking about systems of organization. Uh, in some sense, nations are a step ahead of tribes. You know, it's when, I mean, when you have tribal warfare, that's one thing. Of course, na- national warfare is worse. But at least uh, when you're not at war, you've, you're not warring with, with the tribe. So in a sense, it's a higher level of organization. And in some sense, that would be good for Earth if it was organized on a planetary level. Yes. The problem is, I I guess this is, again, where we diverge in the notions that there are hierarchies of better in things that just sound downright disturbing. I mean, the notion of local government versus state government versus national government all seem bad to me. Well, there doesn't but, seem to be any hierarchy with no, that there, of there is. I live among the people of the Colorado River. Yeah. And that is not any political bullshit. Our lives depend upon the water in that river. What's the name of your local constituent? Is it Garden Grove? Yeah. And they Actually, won't allow medicinal marijuana in your area well, anymore. No, so no, where does it get happen. good? Where does it get good in no, these hierarchy? No, but that, no, it, it doesn't in, in the old hierarchy. There's no point. I'm not, I don't give a shit about Garden Grove. When you look at the Colorado River and its relationship to the ecosystems of the planet, then you've got something to commit to, something to be concerned about, something to take action about uh, all the people who are invested in that system. So the hierarchy doesn't exist yet, but there'll be a good hierarchy there. Well, it's not about a hierarchy. It's about different issues. I think there probably needs to be a planetary issue for distribution of resources. How that's going to, I mean, I don't know how that's going to work out, but, but, uh, that's probably got to be on a planetary scale. Mm. Uh, and again, I see, what I see are uh, city states, no more nations. I see cities as, as the entity, um, that human beings are identified with. I belong in this city state. But and that's each one the Colorado Delta, right? That's no, there may be several no, there could fractures. be several there could be several yeah. city states on the in the Colorado ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. Probably probably could be several. Yeah. You know. And, but and each one can make their own goddamn rules. But there are some global rules if you want to be in the global game of Earth, is you know, you have to be sustainable. You can't be putting out pollution. You have to be you have to be a sustain a sustainable system where you are, given uh, the advantages of participating in the global system where you have access to resources that you know that are available to everybody who's in the system. So where does um I guess what would be described traditionally as law enforcement fall into this. Each city yeah, state. Yeah, no, maintains- there would be no. Yeah, it, 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 my sense is that would become almost. That's that's really a medical problem. It's it, law. If people are raised again, th- these city states cannot be populated by language monkeys. Yes, they have to be populated by conscious human beings. 
Yes. So uh, with that in mind, I would say that law enforcement becomes almost a zero need. There are medical emergencies. Maybe people will flip out. They take too much DMT or something. I don't yeah. know. Um, you know, or, and there are need for, there's all sorts of needs that are still important. Uh, you know, maintenance of the structures and uh, emergency situations and all, you know, all sorts of things that need to be dealt with. But, um, you know, and every city state will figure out, I mean, there'll probably be some commonality. I mean, probably you'll, people will figure out certain things work better than other things. It is interesting because my spiritual advisor and I, through separate paths this week, have had curious interactions with, you know, city state and larger than city state bureaucracy. Again, we're dealing with mm. language monkeys here, folks. Yeah. But it is an interesting kind of metaphorical problem that's been actualized in things that we've seen this week. Mm. My spiritual advisor has been selling things and, uh, she sold, uh, a, a cake electric. It's like a robot cake cutter that cuts up icing and things like that for people who want to decorate cakes. Anyway, this thing is apparently, she purchased it three, four years ago, it's relatively rare now, uh, and she sold it for quite a tidy profit on eBay, but she had to send it to the person, and in the process of the package being sent, the US Post Office lost it for a <laughs> month. Oh, good. And she had to work with postal workers, and I had to work oh, with postal God. workers, yeah. and finally the package arrived back here and then had to be resent. But at every interaction, and this is why I actually mm, took over yeah. from her for a lot of this, because yeah. it was causing her a great degree of emotional stress and tension. For me, it's a second nature to deal with these kind yeah, of Yeah, right. Yeah, just go ahead and start you yelling. Know, no one has, <laughs> well, no, no, you have to, you have to actually use a certain degree of cunning to yeah. show them how incompetent yeah. they really yeah. are, yeah. which if yeah. someone is really incompetent requires a certain yeah, game. Well, you have to be very, yeah, you've yeah. got to be very clever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, thankfully the package is back. She sent it via UPS, it's arrived, <laughs> and they've been signed off on. So, but I, my experience with the police this week was oh, after yeah. waiting. And they still had they they still haven't done anything, right? They just well, said, no. Here's, here's the thing. Head. Here's the thing. So it took me. We talked last week associated with how no one was working on the third or the fourth of July. Funnily enough, it took me Monday. Their telephone system was down. Tuesday, I finally, after waiting on the phone for an hour, spoke to someone, gave my written disclosure. And the fellow said, actually, uh, by the value of this package, it's not going to be investigated. I've taken down the packing numbers from you. If it comes up in a subsequent crime, it will be yeah. collated. But basically, even though we know where this guy lives, there's nothing we can do. And I said, well, I've, you know, I've ordered a camera, I've put up a sign. Yeah. And he said, that's exactly what you should do. Yeah, that when, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. When the police. Well, state, what good is that though? When you the have police, that, they're still not going to do anything. When the police surveillance state fails, it becomes the individual's responsibility to become the police surveillance state in the circumstance. And I think well, it's in this a, circumstances, yes, that's exactly, that's the only alternative. Yeah. So it's interesting that in this, my view actually, potentially, and this perhaps is me crossing over from, or may even be part of left libertarian philosophy, but it's certainly part of right libertarian philosophy, is that these systems have already, are already in a state of collapse, if not yeah. have collapsed. Yeah. And the only responsibility that one has in these circumstances is the individual responsibility. It's interesting yeah. through these discussions. Well, but that that's think, always true anyway. Well, that's interesting. So you <laughs> talk about this notion of city-states and, you know, the Colorado Delta and the notion of the yeah. Earth concept. 
But actually, all we can see through the current failing systems that we have is that the individual has to take on some responsibility yes, in order to, you know, yes. survive in these conditions. Yes. But there's nothing against the collective in individuals taking responsibility. That's part of the collective. Well, th- this is where it gets very, very interesting. Yes, my, it does. <laughs> my view through this process has been that when, when the collective takes no responsibility or when the collective creates the problems that you know it you no there is no collective there's just individuals and their behavior their collective behavior but the the collective itself doesn't exist it's just a concept it's just you and me and our behavior then that's I think all there you've is completely deconstructed your own no there are multiple maps like i say there's no need to to maintain consistency in the maps there are different maps for different situations so by applying occam's razor to this general discussion we've returned to the nature that individuals rather than (laughs) any level of collective rather than any kind of it's a different no no not rather than it's just another way of looking at it it's not the way it is it's just for a certain from sometimes from a certain perspective it's it's quite useful to think in terms of individuals taking responsibility for what they do and the results for well, of what they do. Rather than talk about, you know, the global, the local, the Colorado okay, Delta. Right. We're talking about the all, individual. All we can level. talk about in this thing coherently is the individual's responsibility, right? Uh, that's, yeah, I wouldn't say that's all, but I mean, that's certainly. Well, I mean, in terms of anything that we can affect here. Well, I'm not sure we can, see this whole area. The whole idea of trying to talk sense is not easy, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, all any objection you raise, I'm surely in agreement with because uh, I'm struggling like hell to make sense out of this shit. Yes. But I, I guess really, if we are going to talk coherently, although the visionary element is always beautiful, particularly, you know, talking about this kind of earthly nirvana where, you know, it all seems to work together because no one actually is a language monkey. All we find ourselves with currently is an earth full of language monkeys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We In gotta, fact, I reflect, yeah. I reflect on, uh, Vice seems to be my only, uh, my only viewing currently and, uh, the Ukrainian military finally decided that a bunch of Russian separatists didn't really fit in on Ukrainian soil and decided to bomb all of them. Uh, as they were fleeing from one town to another. Vice covered this with a very brief warning associated with the graphic content and within... Yeah. You're talking about the one that you posted No, on? no, no. Actually, there was one after that, which okay. uh, had a, a man, basically just his upper torso, being eaten by maggots, yeah. which is something that I've reflected upon associated yeah. with accounts of the Second World well, First World War. But to actually see it well, visually remember, is, a, is an extraordinary thing. When Zagreb in Sarajevo, yes. you know, was one of the one of the leading art centers of the world for especially for cinema and animation as was beirut well i don't remember about beirut but no, in beirut any case was. yeah yeah it was beirut yeah. was like the paris of uh, you civilization know, yeah. is such a fragile affair mm. man mm. that's why i love that that one i did see that you posted mm. just just because you can see that these just well, of course, <clears throat> those people were a bunch of language monkeys. If they were paying attention to what the fuck was going on, this wouldn't have been happening, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But but no, probably half of them, like, the, the arguments were going, probably half of them were supporting the, <laughs> you mm. know, the rebels. Who knows, you know, <laughs> what's going on? But it really is you and me. Yeah. It, we, it's the choices I make every day as to how I'm going to spend my time and my money and my energy. That's what counts. 
Yeah, maggots consuming a body is a good example of punctuated equilibrium. I can see when a third... Well, a destroyed human... apartment house. Yeah, good exactly. Where a bunch of people used to live. Now, yeah. there's, when you think about it, no water, no electricity, no yeah. gas. Yes. What the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. You know, your apartment's in shambles. There's no windows. It's Winter will be coming in a few months. Is anybody going to come and fix it? What the fuck is happening? What's going to happen to all those people? Yeah. You know, yeah. and that could happen here so easily. In order for a 90-year-old to be – that 90-year-old woman would have experienced the Germans doing this. No, no, this is nothing new. Yeah. No, no, that's the thing that interests me, actually, yeah. is that it becomes so part of the psychology of, you know, the older generations that they have a survivability that the younger generations do not necessarily have. They're stoic for a start. So they're not going to be easy. Yeah, they're yeah they're going to be. Uh, yeah, it's going to be nasty. Mm. They're going. They're not going to take too much of it before they think. You know, fuck it. Let's let's do something else. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, like I said, I think the next thirty to fifty years ought to be quite interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Whew. Yeah. This morning I was waiting for a, a group of tradesmen to turn up early in the morning, so I got up quite early and watched. Some old Vice documentaries from the UK that I, yeah. one of which I had seen, but a number of that I hadn't. They were all about 30, 35 minutes long. So the ideal time frame while you're waiting for late tradespeople to turn. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it did strike me that, uh, this notion of the human experience, which I think Vice is trying to capture in some regard, with, I probably should add, is it a million or a, they got some huge funding from Murdoch. It could have been a billion dollars. Really? Astonishing. Well, the, from what, from the one thing yeah. I saw, I'm impressed. I thought they did a really good job of showing how fucked up it is for just normal people, you know? Yes. Yeah, it's all gonzo journalism in terms of injecting, and some of it is more strongly gonzo than others. I mean, obviously the fellow was talking about when he'd been captured and his experience yeah, there. Yeah. Um, oh, which may or may not be true. <laughs> well, actually, it's pretty heavily documented. Well, probably it, yeah. I'm assuming. I suggest that there's always a part of me that, that asks that question. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it doesn't really make any difference. It's what it is. It's a, it's a piece of film and it can, inf it can affect you. And if you're a critical thinker, those same questions will come to your mind too. Hmm. Yes, I, on Netflix, I was watching a series of uh, short documentaries associated with the last 24 hours of people's lives, mm. which was an interesting kind of account. Most of them were, you know, most of them were drug-related, Sid Vicious, uh, mm. um, what's the fellow's name, Belushi, John Belushi, yeah. Yeah. you know, these kind of folk. And then the final fellow that they dealt with was um, the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas fellow. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Hunter Thompson. Hunter Thompson. Yeah. And basically the way that he decided to check out, which is kind of Stonian in one regard and considerably anti-Stonian in another regard. <laughs> you know, I've never really been big on Hunter Thompson. So. Yeah, he's a curious character in yeah. terms of his, um, yeah. Well, I mean, he's interesting if you like brain-damaged language monkeys. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Ungenerate, yes. unapologetic brain-damaged language monkeys. Yes. Who, who have got an art of... Uh, of yeah. And anyway, yeah, it just it never really appealed to me. Certainly, certainly. But yes, it does 
it does strike me that this notion of, uh, you know, strange, almost, I mean, I think we've talked about this previously, irrespective of discussions of evolution and information theory and all these kind of things, I think the universe is actually run by irony. And you can see it at a sub-molecular level, you can oh, see it at come every on. level. Well, listen, that's as good, if you can fill out that story, I'll, I'll go with that, that's a good yeah. story. You don't need Bob if you have irony. Well, Bob can be ironical. I, I think he is, actually. I think really all irony flows from Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the cat wearing the cat, the cow wearing the hat, now just appears <laughs> in my mind with a kind of li- halo light around it. Whenever you say Bob, now now Bob has a physical form in my mind. Oh, good. I, yeah. Yes. No, that's actually I should probably put a, put a picture of the real Bob Dobbs. You've seen Bob Dobbs, right? I mean, you know. The real picture of Bob. I don't know Bob. Who's Bob Dobbs? J.R. Bob Dobbs is uh, Bob. Let me put Boy, just just do bo- look up Bob. Do an image search for Bob Dobbs. D O B B S, and you will immediately see the cartoon character of Bob and his pipe. Oh, him. Yes, that's Bob. Okay. <laughs> okay. Our Bob. Praise Bob. That's him. <laughs> That's him. Interesting. That's Bob. He's the figurehead of the Church of the Sub. No, not not just the, not just an image. That is Bob. Right. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, I don't have his pipe in my collection. Otherwise, I could do a, a satirical yeah, uh, impersonation. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That would be good. Well, it doesn't have to be exactly that pipe. You can go out and, go out and find a pipe that's more. It doesn't appear to actually. The pipe seems to just be hovering near his mouth. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a strange little drawing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually trying to find an old one. Yes. Oh, I guess he's biting down on it lightly. Yes. That seems to be the... Uh, yes. Interesting. I'm, I'm surprised you don't, uh, you know, you don't visually uh, have have a satirical photo of you with a pipe in these circumstances. I mean, don't you want to be more Bob-like? Um, no, actually, I think I'm just about right right mm. now. You know, I'm just I'm Bob enough for now. You, your account of smoking DMT kind of disappointed me as well. Oh, me the too. Whole, Shit. The whole, <laughs> well, the whole contraption nature of it. I just assumed you to have a Bob-like pipe full of DMT that you were, uh, you know, you were smoking in some way. Ah, I see. No, no. In fact, I just bought a new, uh, a new bong, not a bong, but a, a new little water bottle that's going to work better than the one I... <laughs> Had last time. What kind of? So this is this is like a Perrier water bottle, or no? It's a little bit bigger. I don't remember what the name of it was. Uh-huh. You know, but it's, it's like one and a half liters. My recollection of the account of McKenna smoking DMT was that he smoked it in a small glass pipe. Yeah, that's the way a lot of people do it, but that's harsh. Mm. You know, that's just that's just really hard. This is uh, quite acceptable. It's not harsh at all. You know, but you just, it has no effect. Well, no, but this is the way everybody else is doing it, and they're having the effect. So, I mean, yeah. what I'm doing is the sort of standard method. I mean, there's the pipe method, which is harsh if you're a real man, or a bong, which uh, works just as well and is far more uh, friendly to the lungs. So, you're actually using water filtration, or you're not? No, using- no, no, no. I'm not. There's no bong. It's just, uh, it's just a big. Uh, plastic bottle that I cut the bottom out of uh-huh. and have some tin foil covering the bottom and then and a little uh, bucket-like thing where I put the DMT and then I just hold the, uh, the lighter underneath it and it uh-huh. melts and vaporizes and fills up the uh, the water bottle. 
And without giving too much NSA information, you're part of like a group study associated with this, right? <laughs> I mean, you're you're comparing notes with others, basically. Uh, no, I'm fucked that. I'm. I mean, yes, I am. I mean, in that sense, this is just part of my personal exploration of um, who the what the hell's going on on this planet. Yeah, you know. But you, yeah, I claim that is my right. Any any government that tells me I can't experiment with my nervous system. Well, fuck you. Yeah, well, they're, they're more than happy to have your nervous system blown out by someone else. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Be it trained, foreign military, yeah, this, or a variety of other things. Actually, this strikes me as important research. Yes. Especially with this stuff with DMT that I've been hearing. That's why I'm so frustrated that, that nothing happened. So yeah. when you get the accounts from others associated with their DMT experiences, how do you console that with your experiences? Uh, oh, I can't, because I don't have any experience. Yeah. You did mention in the initial account that you felt something, but we oh, tried but, to delve into that, and you couldn't really give a kind no, of deeper but, you know, account of that. Well, if you pay attention, I mean, all, all you got to do is pay attention to what's going on in your mind, and you're going to become aware of some weirdness. Yeah. You know? And if you just took two huge hits of DMT and you're expecting reality resolve to dissolve in front of you, mm. then uh, that's probably going to have some impact on what's going on in your mind. Yeah. I still so, think, I mean, when you get the larger doses, that you probably should video yourself just to actually get no, a sense of whether or not it is taking any effect. You're no, just I losing can, it. I, no, listen, I can tell. You can I tell? Mean, if I can, I, well, if I can't, then I'm in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think that's a, an issue. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go to that length. You're I mean, not that's going not to gonna, that length. No, that's not gonna add anything to it. I mean, the issue is, what am I going to experience? What's going to happen? You know, you know what we should do? We should record a stone eight with the DMT in no. order to no. No, this is an ex- no. I this take this shit. Sh- no, this isn't history. showbiz. This is this, showbiz. <laughs> this is me exploring my universe, uh-huh. and I'll be happy to share the results if I think that any of it's worth talking about. Interesting, but uh, this yeah. isn't showbiz. I think that's a that's a show title, there, <laughs> Thank you very much. No, this ain't showbiz. This ain't showbiz. Very good. Very good. <laughs> You're right, I think that is a good one. <laughs> yes. So this is interesting. So you are actually getting other reports because you talked about this when we were talking about this a couple of recordings ago. Yeah. The people are telling you associate that they are receiving, you know, enlightening experiences. Well, no, I just this. no, it's not it's not from it's just from reading stuff online. Oh, okay. So I thought yeah. you were actually part of a group that no, was no, sharing a couple, the quantity no, no, of DMT. Couple, and, no, yeah. there are a couple of people I've talked to, but but uh no, there. No, this. What I was talking about was all stuff I've picked up online or yes. on YouTube or you know various places. Yeah. No, it'd be interesting to. Well, see, that's why I, I'm sort of waiting to try this again before I contact that lady that you gave me the mm-hmm. the yep. info on. Uh, because now I think there's some reason for me to contact her. I'm immune to LSD and DMT. Maybe you might find me an interesting subject. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I think you should contact her now. I can't understand the, the reticence to get in contact. Well, because I imagine she's probably a busy person. And she's and g- given the nature of this kind of stuff, she's probably surrounded by idiots who, are, who want her attention. Are you an idiot? Well, but how is she going to know? No, I need. Well, like I say, I'm, I've already started a letter. I've I've got the rough draft already written. It's very good. You know, yeah, I was probably going to wait until the, you know, after this second um, 
attempt, which uh-huh. in a couple of weeks, I guess. Yeah, and this is with this is with five times as much as you'd taken previously. Well, no, I'm not going to. No, this is enough. This is enough for. Um, this is enough for ten trips. Yeah, it's five hundred milligrams. But you took a hundred previously. With I took a hundred. I took two. Yeah, I took two complete uh, things. So yeah. So I, I'm just going to start off normal again. I'm going to start off with fifty milligrams. Put it in there. I mean, it's the thing is it, the problem. For, if it works, it's difficult to go back for a second one because you're you're in, you're so out of it. <laughs> you know, after one hit, after thirty seconds, you are blown away into some weird shit. Okay. Yeah. So the idea of taking another hit uh, requires a certain amount of <laughs> finesse on your part to get it together enough to, to do that, you know? Yeah. But if, if you're not having anything going on, then that's easy. Yeah. Like I say, I reloaded the whole thing, repacked it and did it twice. And, uh, you know, so. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I know how to do it this time. I mean, I, I was sort of in experimental mode the first time, but uh, <laughs> now I can see. And, and plus, I'm not afraid of the smoke. I was really worried that I was going to start coughing and shit. Yeah. Uh, but it's in this method, it, it's really not a problem at all to take huge hits. Yeah. So, so um, interesting. Yeah, you know, we'll so just, to be continued. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. This what, ain't showbiz, folks. <laughs> I take this quite seriously. Shit, I mean, it's dangerous. I, I, I recognize that it's dangerous. Yes. You don't know what the hell. You don't know. That's what, what the hell you're doing. You don't know walking out your door every no, morning. No, I know, but people on? don't want to think about that. Shit, if you, if you admit that, you're really fucked up. Then, you know? well, yeah, but I mean, if you admit that and you continue to do it. Yeah, then, right. Then you, know. you sort of become responsible and you just don't worry about it anymore. Yes. Yeah, you just sort of live with it. This is, this is what's so. Yes. Yeah. Well, but this is, Im- yeah, this is important to me. Um, Clearly. Personally. Yeah. Yes. It, it really is. I, I, I hope to learn something from it. And if I, and if after this next experiment, if nothing happens, well, then that's going to be very interesting. Well, then you're actually going to contact the. Oh, well, then I'll school. definitely, yeah, I'll definitely for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'll probably con, well, whatever. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, again, the difference between our personal, our internal personal experience of reality. We talked about this before is that you don't know. You say blue, I say blue. I have no fucking idea what you actually see. And it may be again that, that even stuff like hallucinatory reality, if you live in it all the time, becomes normal. Well, Bruce Damer has a rap associated with when he first met McKenna that he had previous experience with cannabis and it never had any meaningful effect on him. Uh-huh. I'm assuming he, you know, done yeah. the heroic dose. See, that's the cannabis. whole thing is that cannabis yeah. to me was actually hallucinogenic. The first yes. time I smoked grass, I hallucinated like crazy. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> But never following, or a few no, times no, following. no, 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 quite often. That was yeah. it. Was always sort of that way up until I mean, at least for the first couple of years. Yeah, I mean, not like crazy. It wasn't like the first time. The first time was, well, the first time you know was like nothing you'd ever experienced before. How the fuck mm-hmm. you even categorize that? Mm. But but after that, uh, there's just lots of weird shit, mm. <laughs> you know. And it was enough to keep me interested. Now, I, I don't even know why I bother anymore. Mm. You know? I mean, there may be some subtle 
thing that I'm still getting from it. I it think- is interesting because certainly the folks that I knew in Australia, I mean, the whole Eland stuff, which I've written about, they had a particular strain of cannabis that they had isolated from exactly the time that you started mm-hmm. with the view that that was any mixing or pollution of that mm-hmm. would damage that experience. And they sold, yeah. they sold it for substantial sums of money yeah. based on the fact that it was... Brand name. Yeah. <laughs> Damn and, right. Yeah. And, and pure and isolated and a strain that wasn't yeah. corrupted by, yeah. you know... Yeah, I don't know what happened, stuff. you know, because yeah. supposedly the stuff that's available now through the dispensaries is the best has ever been available. I think that's marketing, Heron. Well, it may very well be. Because when I hear accounts particularly associated with the mixing of kind of CBD and THC, I mean, this is exactly the kind of genetic pollution that, you know, the folks in Irlands were dead against. And actually the underlying chemistry of the plants, in particular those that have been selected over, you know, generation after generation after generation, probably in Thailand or Vietnam or wherever these strains of cannabis originally came from, probably brought back by GIs or these kind of things, you, yeah, that is a genetic species, exists with a wide variety of chemistry that we don't even understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then to talk about it associated with two dominant and probably two, you know, secondary chemicals that are supposedly, and then the whole mix. And plus it's different for each individual. I mean, you know, the same weed, you know, it always cracked me up when I go into the the dispensary and they're telling me, oh, well, this is this way and this, and they don't know how it's going to respond to me. Oh, I know, but I'm just saying is that most people think that way. They ask the question, well, I want, which one's, you know, nobody can tell you that. You, you, You test it and you see how you react to it. Yes. You know, that's the only way to make what anybody says to you is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, God, yeah. It's crazy. Well, it's going to be interesting the next couple of years. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff in the news recently about, you know, Washington uh, mm-hmm. and Colorado's uh, opening up their first legal pot stores. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, the whole notion of, uh, you know, legislation and regulation. I mean, yeah. through the recent, one of the recent psychedelic salons, there was a woman talking about how, you know, regulation and government, you know, government regulation <laughs> was critical in the legalization process. Yeah. And I just yeah. thought, this is just astonishing. <laughs> you know, it's astonishing that someone who is so, well, obviously it's important to her because she's part of a lobby group that does this. So, I mean, you well, have to go Well, that's the way it's the, done, though. That's yeah. just the way it's done in this system. Yeah. There is no other way. Heron. No, no, I know you're being funny, but no, I mean, let's no, be there serious. There is no other here. way in this system. No, there are, there's a multiplicity of possibilities in this but, system. The problem but, here is, is that we're you sold. Know, you know, who are thinking outside the box and looking at possibility, but that's not what most politicians are there to do. Yeah. You know, they're they're there to keep the status quo, pretty much. Yeah. No, they don't want to shake anything up. And they certainly want to tax this thing, <laughs> you yeah, know, clearly. and they want to regulate it, you know, so that, you know, that's just their, their mindset, you know? Yeah. Cause it's their lifeblood, right? Yeah. It's just, that's just what they do. Yeah. <laughs> it's called, it's called politics. It is interesting actually reading. I'm not sure if you're following Uber as a phenomena against the taxi companies, but everything, my experience with taxis, particularly as I've traveled has never been good. And the relationship between now $300,000, I think it was Chicago, which is where I've had my worst taxi experiences, $300,000 for the taxicab disc that, you know, the government gives the or sells the taxicab drivers. And now you have Uber, which is a private car service connected to an app. 
connected to a whole lot of technology where they're not actually, they don't have to be taxicab regulated, although here they can't actually drop you at the airport. Completely undercutting the previous, like, regulated <laughs> yeah. model. Yeah. Completely yeah. undercutting all this nonsense. And all the taxi drivers can do, as they did in Europe, was block the roads, which only forced more people <laughs> to move us. <laughs> yeah. So, no, this this notion of yeah. kind of hyper-regulation, that the only yeah. way we can do these things... Oh, is clearly, by... that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's a dead-end road. I mean, that, yeah. that's what I'm saying. That's just... We're headed into a new world. I mean, yes. trying to fix the old one, I just think, is a waste of time. You know? I mean, somebody – it's good that somebody's worrying about that shit, trying to keep it going. Mm. Uh, somebody's got to drive the frozen peas to the supermarket so that I don't starve to death. Well, somebody has to build the private prisons that hold the private prisons. Somebody's got to do all this shit. Yeah, you know? and convict all, the all criminals this, to go into the private prisons. All of the, uh, yeah. all of the above is part of this collapsing caterpillar system. Yes. And um, there's no future in any of that. Yeah. Somehow, in the midst of all this chaos and bullshit, we have to start re-imaging how we're going to do it. Yes. And the interesting part through this is that collectively, potentially, we may have isolated, not necessarily answers, but possibilities to these components, but we need to engage in some kind of discourse and dialogue. Yeah, yeah it need, there, needs to be a, a, there needs to be a conversation generally amongst the, the population of the planet about how we're going to, this needs to be, instead of talking about what you watched on TV last night, you know, people should be talking about how the fuck are we going to organize ourselves so that we can run this planet reasonably? Mm. Oh, really? Let's start with ourselves. Okay. Let's build up from ourselves in the current. Well, that would have, see, that's what I'm suggesting with Gendo is that one thing you can do is become a little less stupid. Yes. You know, you personally can uh, begin to reprogram your language machine. It's a small thing, but, you know, it will remove a bunch of bullshit from your life and other people's lives. You know, and, and it's something that you can do right now. You can learn what the five stupidities of English are and take the steps necessary to eliminate them from your life or at least minimize them or make them conscious anyway. Because sometimes you want to manipulate other people and the word the is very useful when you're trying to manipulate people. So sometimes you want to use that word, yes. but you don't want to be the victim of that word. Yeah. Well, Heron, I think we've covered a lot of ground this evening and... I think it's probably a good place to, to stop. Well, if you think that's so, then it must be so. Well, <laughs> let's let rest on that. But, um, yeah, pleasure as always. Okay. Talk to you next week. Good night. Take care.